Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter, 2nd chapter, verses 11 through 17. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us. Wonderful songs, just declaring God's greatness, right, this morning. Uh, good morning, Trinity Church. Good to see you here. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. Glad to welcome you to our, our worship service today. For those of you that are joining us online, thank you for tuning in and being a part of this, even from home. Um, just hope that you'll enter in, grab a Bible, just be a part of our study of God's Word over the next few minutes. Um, glad to that you are part of this. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I was tempted to uh, leave my mask on as I spoke today because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that the little spots on my face may be a distraction to you. So I just got to get out and just explain it to you right from the beginning here. Beth was practicing some, oh, some, no. some, <laughs> some of her makeup techniques and it just went a little bit awry. No, no. I went to the dermatologist this week. Some of you have done this before. You know, the little spray can. They freeze the little spots of precancerous stuff. And so that, that explains the uh, odd circles on my face. It's not, not some new kind of makeup job or some... Actually, you know what? This could be a Trinity symbol. I have three spots right over here on my temple. So this is our new thing. For Trinity Church, you just put three spots right over here, and then that's how you're part of the, part of the group. So new members that are joining today, we're going to get your three spots for you. No. Um, we're glad that you're here, and we, we've been in this study of 1 Peter, and uh, uh, I'm excited about jumping into this. This passage today is so critical, so timely, so vital for where we are as a country, as a nation, as a world right now. So um, hang in there with me. This is, this is a great word for us. So let's stop and let's pray first, and let's ask God to teach us while we go into his word. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this this privilege of worship. Thank you that we can come together, even with some of the changes that have been made these last months, that, that we still have this wonderful privilege of singing our praise to you, of gathering around your word, of being your church, of ministering the gospel to others. And uh, today I pray that you would just help us to listen well to you. I pray that you'd help me to listen well and speak well on behalf of your word. And Lord, we know it's, it's the power of your word 
and the power of your spirit that must do the work in us. So that's what we pray for as we do every week. Lord, we ask that you would be at work in us so that we can be changed, so that we can be obedient, so that our lives can make a difference for you for eternity. That's our prayer. That's our desire. Lead us in that this morning as we dive into your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been here at Trinity for a while, you've heard me say this before, that I married an alien. Now, actually, it isn't totally true because Beth only became an alien when I married her. So that's actually what they used to call people from another country. So Beth is Canadian. Her citizenship is Canada. She kept her Canadian citizenship. When she married me as an American citizen, her status, legal status with immigration here in the U.S. is resident alien. Now, if you watched the video we sent out yesterday, you know I joked a little bit about showing her card and putting it up on the screen and so on. Obviously, they're not going to do that. Too much personal information, and she doesn't like the picture on the card anyhow. But I brought somebody else's picture. So look at the screen for a second. I just pulled this off the Internet. I don't know who this person is, but, well, it's Jose Vargas, obviously. <laughs> but this is what the cards used to look like. When Beth got hers back in 1982, it said right on the card, resident alien. And so we used to have a lot of fun with that, joking about this. And... and some years down the road, I don't even know when it happened, but the next time she got her card updated, they had changed the title, more politically correct term, of permanent resident. So that sounds a little, they took the alien out of there, permanent resident. But still not the same as, and so here's what the card looks like more now. So it's still not the same exactly as a citizen. So Beth still has some privileges as a permanent resident. She gets the privilege of paying taxes on anything she makes here in the country. She gets the privilege of, of, uh, of obeying the laws in this country. All these things that would be expected of citizens are expected of her as a permanent resident. The only thing she cannot do as a Canadian citizen is vote here in America. So she gets to skip all the long lines or the voting online, whatever, and, and she is out of that process. But she has responsibilities even though she lives here. But her homeland, her, her country of citizenship still is Canada. We should sing the national anthem, right, dear? You want to lead us in that? Um, Peter is doing the same thing, telling us essentially the same thing in our passage this morning. He's saying, as believers, you are resident aliens. You are permanent residents, not permanent, so permanent, not permanent residents of earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so Peter is talking to us about how do we live here on earth as we're passing through, knowing that we are citizens of heaven, what does that mean for our responsibilities and our lives here on earth? And that's what our passage is this morning. So I encourage you, if you're not there already, turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. We're in that first letter, that first book, 1 Peter. We're in the second chapter of that book today. And Peter is telling us about these responsibilities for resident aliens with heavenly citizenship. In fact, he calls us in the passage today, a word he's used before, foreigners, or it could be also translated sojourners. So I've titled the message today, Living as Foreigners. What does that mean for us if we're, in, as Christians, in a sense, foreigners on earth, how do we live? Well, certainly it means we shouldn't get too attached to things here, right? That this world is not all there is, and so the things of this world are not the things that we grab a hold of and give our lives to attain, that we hold things here loosely because we know our true treasure and citizenship is in heaven. That's certainly 
part of what we know in this. But Peter also tells us that the way we live here as citizens of earth, because we're citizens of heaven, should have an impact on the lives of others. That's the focus of our passage this morning. So to give you again the background, living hope is our theme. That's been the, the, the overriding theme of the book. It refers to our salvation. It refers to our inheritance in heaven. We have hope, as Jason talked about at the beginning, because of Jesus and what he did for us. And now he begins to tell us, has been telling us, how that identity as believers and followers of Jesus, how that changes what we do, how we live, and for this passage today, how we interact with our culture. Because the Bible calls us to be counter-cultural, different from our culture, and yet impacting our culture as we do that. So the two sections of our passage today, there's two main principles we're going to focus on. The first is how our faith can affect others who do not have faith. And then the second is how our submission to authority can impact our society around us. So here's the first principle. Live your life as an example to unbelievers. Live your life, but live it as an example to unbelievers. So Peter's focusing first on two things in these verses, two verses, 11 and 12. First, the internal, and then something external. That our faith is evident in the way we battle temptation, that's that internal struggle, but our faith is also evident in the way that we do good, how we behave out in public in the world. On one front, we're facing this attack from temptation. On the other front, outside, it may be the attack of criticism from those who don't know Jesus. So first, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So Peter's giving this as an urgent plea, saying, you've got to listen to this, hear this, abstain or steer clear from, avoid those sinful desires. And that's a phrase he's using to mean temptation. And what Peter is reminding us of is that temptation is going to come. You cannot avoid it coming, but when it comes, that's when it's our responsibility to avoid running after it. We turn and run the other way. We run from temptation to sin. And Peter is telling us that this battle, this abstaining from temptation, running from temptation, that it's like a war. It's a war for your soul, he says. So Satan, the enemy, he wants to take you down. You need to know that. You need to be aware of that so that you're watching out for his attacks, for his deceptions, because that's how he works. Paul describes it this way, Ephesians 6.12. We'll put this verse on the screen. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he's saying, first of all, this, this battle is a spiritual battle. Sometimes we think that it's not. We think that it's the people around us, that that's the problem and that's the battle. It's our circumstances. Peter says first and foremost, and Paul says first and foremost, it's a spiritual battle. You're under attack. And one of the most important ways we live out our faith in Christ in this world, in this cursed, sinful world, is to lean on Jesus for victory in those attacks. Because Jesus came for that very reason. He came to defeat the power of sin. He came to defeat the power of the enemy. And so the only way that we have any chance of defeating temptation 
And running from sin in our lives is with Jesus' help. We need to depend on Him. When, when this uh, pandemic began and we were all under these stay-home orders, one of the things Beth and I did was we found this uh, mini-series on the life of John Adams and watched this and kind of give some of the background of the Revolutionary War and so on. And what it reminded me of is that, that for these early colonies to have any chance against the war machine of Great Britain, they needed an ally. They needed help. And so there was great dependency on France, especially when it came to battles at sea. I mean, the colonies really had, had, had no kind of war fleet, but France did. And so it was that ally, that dependency on France and their help at sea to defeat the British that helped us win our independence. It took dependence to get to independence And if that hadn't happened, if we hadn't depended, if we hadn't asked for that help as a country, the war might have had a very different end, and we might be living in a very different kind of country right now. So Peter is reminding us that we need to depend on Jesus, the one who's won the war already, to come alongside of us and help us in this battle for our souls, this battle against temptation. And it's very personal. It's very practical. And we need to take it that way, seriously, on a daily basis. So are you asking for that help? Every day, do you ask God for help in that fight against sin, in the fight against temptation? I think that should be one of our regular prayers. Prayers of forgiveness when we do sin and prayers for God's help so that we won't sin. That's one way we're supposed to live as foreigners on this earth trusting Jesus to help us through temptation. But verse 12 gives us an external focus as well. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So you see the connection here. He's saying, live such good lives. Well, we can only live good lives if we're avoiding sin, so we need Jesus' help to do that. But he's saying, as you live out your life following Jesus and obedience to him, that then has an influence on other people around you. He uses the word pagans. And, you know, in, in our language of our day, when you say pagan, it's kind of derogatory. So we don't usually use that word. But all he means here is unbelievers. He means people who don't know Jesus Christ. And we... We all know people who are in that situation. It, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that you know that does not know Jesus. And that person, as Peter describes here, might even be hostile, might, might even be accusing you or making fun of you, challenging your faith, because sometimes that happens to us, and Peter is acknowledging that. And it happened to the Christians in his day, too. So what we know just from watching the early church and those first believers is many of them in that Roman society were accused of being disloyal to Caesar. They were accused of disturbing the peace. That was kind of a big thing for Rome. They were teaching freedom for slaves, and that was something you didn't do in that day. They were talking about uh, they didn't worship the gods of the Greek gods or the Roman gods. So there were a lot of reasons for those who didn't follow Jesus to throw accusations at those who did. So what do we do? When people attack our Christian faith, our beliefs, our convictions, 
Do we attack back? Do we accuse back? Do we fire back? Well, Peter says, let them see your good deeds. Let them see your life. So keep serving God, keep obeying Him, be faithful, and let others see that. Focusing, living, our, living out our faith so that unbelievers can see us. How do we do that? Well, and why do we do that? Peter says that the end goal is that we may glorify God on the day He visits us. It's an interesting phrase. What is it? The day He visits us. It sounds like he's talking about the second coming. But the phrase actually is on the day of his visitation. That's literally how it reads. So it doesn't necessarily mean when he visits us. It may just mean when he, when he visits that person that Peter's talking about who's accusing the believer. And I think that's more likely the case here. That's what Peter's referring to. He's, he's describing this kind of personal situation. So he's saying that on the day when that day, and if that day happens, when that person turns to Christ and they receive forgiveness of their sin, they will glorify God when God visits them with salvation. They'll thank God for your testimony, for your deeds that you reached out, and they'll give glory to God because of it. When uh, I was in seminary, I'd one of the summers, Beth and I did an internship up in Canada, partly so she could be near her family there in her home of origin. And, but, but I was also working with the pastor of her parents' church. And I learned a lot from that pastor. And one of the things that, that kind of grabbed my attention, I, at first I, it, I didn't understand why he did this. It seemed really odd to me. I'd never heard of any pastor doing this. But as I watched that unfold and I watched him do that over the summer, summer it was really impressive to me. He would get the obituaries from the local paper and he would go through and find those people who were obviously had lost a loved one, having to plan a funeral, and he would find a phone number and he would contact them, just out of the blue, cold call, and he would get on the phone with them and he would say, do you need a pastor? Because I'll be glad to help if you need a pastor to help you with the funeral, with the service, whatever. And he would offer his services free of charge. You know, think about it. For a lot of people who are not churchgoers, who don't have a pastor, maybe don't know a pastor, they come to a point a family member dies, they're planning a funeral, they don't know what to do. They, they don't have anybody to help them walk through it. And when he would do that, obviously he had an opportunity to do good for that family, to bless them in that way, but also to share the gospel with them. So a number of people came to faith in Jesus. God visited them because of the blessing the goodness of this pastor and they gave glory to God because of it that's what Peter is describing he's saying live out your faith look for opportunities to do good to those who don't know the Lord so that they will be visited by God's grace and come to glorify him too Jesus said it this way Matthew 5 16 in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven so Jesus said let your light shine and I think as Peter wrote his words he was probably remembering these words from the Sermon on the Mount because he says almost the same thing we bless others not so that they will praise us but so that they will be drawn to God and give glory to him for their salvation so as Christians you know we we tend to direct a lot of our energies towards serving one another, and that's totally appropriate. We should do that. We should be helping, loving, serving one another within the body of Christ. Absolutely, Peter says that too. 
But here he's reminding us, don't forget to look for opportunities to do good to those who are outside the faith, outside the church, who don't know Jesus. Because when you do that, that may be the very blessing, the, may, the very good deed that they need to see to be drawn to Jesus. And they may come to glorify God because you stepped out in that way. There's another way our faith gets lived out in a pagan society. Part of it is this way. It's by the way we live, the way we deal with temptation and sin, and the way we look for opportunities to do good to others. But it's also in the way we respond to authority. So here's our second principle for this morning. It's verses 13 to 15. Submit to human authority out of respect for God's authority. Now, the word submission is not one of our favorite words, right? We just have to admit that. And it's probably not something that's on your list of goals for your life this year, or maybe any year. I want to become more submissive. We just don't say, we don't talk that way. We don't think about that. <clears throat> we don't think about it as something that's part of our character, part of our calling. It's not popular in our society, and it wasn't in the first century either. <clears throat> but even, and even in the Christian community, when you do use the word submission, oftentimes it's in reference to wives submit to your husbands. And that's part of it, but it's not, this isn't just a thing for wives. The Bible calls us all to live in submission, every believer, in every relationship. So Peter's going to talk about this as we go through the next passages in 1 Peter. This is just kicking it off here. So I hope you'll be here the next couple of Sundays because you're going to hear this again. He's going to talk about specific relationships in our lives and how we live out this principle of submission. And the truth is that it's our own willingness to set aside our needs and our own desires and place ourselves under authority. That's what sets us apart as Christians. That is countercultural. Look what Peter says, verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Peter is talking about obeying human authority. So this involves human laws, human regulations, things that we live under in our society. And he identifies the supreme authority of his day, which is why the word emperor is in there. It seems strange for us. Well, I, I, I don't have an emperor. But in his day, it was the Roman emperor and the governmental system of that day. For us, it would be our federal government, our state government, our local government. That would be the parallel. But it's more than that because Peter also says to every human authority. So there are a number of other authority figures and systems in our lives. So, for instance, if you're working a job, there's an authority structure in your work, a boss. If you're in an educational system, teachers have authority over students and administration has authority over teachers. There, there's a structure for that. There's authority going on. In the home, it's parents over children. In the church, there's church leadership and authority here. In our lives, we live with authority structures. And so Peter is saying to us, your job as a believer is to be submissive when you're under authority. And the ideal here is that those in authority would be responsible for that, would be, would be punishing wrong and commending right, is the way Peter describes it. But, of course, we know that doesn't always happen. 
authorities are not always in the right and not always punishing wrong. They don't always get it right. And Peter understood that too. Remember, the Roman emperor at the time when Peter wrote this was Nero. And even if the persecution, as we kind of described at the beginning of this book study, wasn't as bad as it was going to get, Peter probably saw where this was going because later in the book he's going to talk to these believers that he's writing to about how to respond when persecution comes. So either it was coming or it was about to come. And yet even in that context, even under that kind of Roman, evil Roman rule, Peter says, submit to that authority. Okay, but you say, well, what about if that government authority commands us to do something that violates God's law? Well, then, of course, our first priority is to obey God. So we, Peter doesn't say it here, but Peter certainly knew it, right? If you jump back to the book of Acts and right after Pentecost and Peter and John are in the temple, early on they're preaching the gospel and the religious leaders, the authority structure of their day, their religious authority comes and they say, they bring them in, they arrest them, they put them in prison, they say, you can't do this anymore, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And remember what Peter says? We must obey God rather than men. In Acts 5. So Peter recognized there were times, and this was one of those times, if that authority structure tells you to do something that is in direct violation of what God has told you to do, then you obey God. But as a general rule, and that's what Peter's talking about in our passage here, he says, submit to authority and do it for the Lord's sake. So, in other words, not just to avoid difficulty or punishment or for your own good. Do this for God because you are under God's authority. So we submit to the authority God places over us out of respect and honor for Him. It's exactly the way Paul says it. So Romans 13, which by the way is a great parallel passage to 1 Peter 2. So Paul deals with this issue in Romans 13. So verse 1 he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. So how does this apply to us today? Well, we're in the thick of this, right? This very much applies and something we have to wrestle with right now. When, when we chose to do this, the book of 1 Peter, back a couple months ago, we had no idea that when we came to this passage in 1 Peter 2, there would be the kind of conflict in our society that's going on right now. So we're so used to religious freedoms here in our country that when government restrictions begin to affect that, we begin, it's a dilemma for us. Well, what do we do? We've never had to make some of these choices before. This is kind of new ground for us as believers, as a church. And so I want to tell you what's happening in one part of our country and just kind of use this as, in, in a sense, as a reminder of how, we, how relevant this is. So a little different from in Georgia, out in California on the West Coast, they, there was an order put out just mid-July, July 13th, really kind of going back to where we were in March, right? It's another one of these kind of what we called stay-at-home orders. So the governor of California has said that restaurants and bars and fitness centers and hair salons must close down again, shut down completely, and has said that churches 
in California, most of the counties of California, must stop indoor services. They can meet outdoor, meet at homes, whatever, meet, do online, but no indoor services. Well, one large, well-known evangelical church has chosen to defy that order and published a statement on Friday, two days ago, that they believe the state is forcing them to disobey God, and so they are not going to obey that order. They feel like they need to obey God, and they are going to assemble. Now, there are a lot of other churches in California that are saying, essentially, we're going to comply with this order. We realize we're still in this pandemic, and we have a responsibility to our community to try to help um, not spread the virus, so we will obey the order, and we will not meet. We will meet online, or we meet outdoors, whatever. So who's right? Who's right? Is this against God's will or not? Is this disobedience to God or not? So when the government asks churches to temporarily conduct outdoor services or online services, are they asking us or forcing us to disobey God? So Remember back, the Bible does tell us that we are to assemble. That is a command from God. Back in May, I, I preached a sermon right here at Trinity on, from Hebrews chapter 10. Better together. Remember that? The calling us, saying we need to be together. God's called us to be together. We've got to find ways to come back together to be the church, to minister to one another. And that's why here at Trinity we've been working hard to find ways to come back together as best we can in this environment. So as soon as the stay-at-home orders were lifted here in Georgia, we regathered services with the various regulations that you've been living with for the last couple months. But the interesting thing is the Bible doesn't specify how or where we should meet. And we often talk about this. The building is not the church. We don't have to be in a building to be the church to have church. And the early church didn't. The, many other churches and other places have found ways to meet and continue to follow God's direction of, of assembling. There are physical restrictions that were being put on us, but they're not necessarily spiritual restrictions. So that's part of this is understanding the difference between the two. So here's the key question we come down to, thinking all this through. Should the churches in California submit to the authority to prioritize care for their community, find creative other ways to keep gathering, or should they defy the order and meet in, in the churches? That's the struggle right now. Now, thankfully, we haven't had to face that here in Georgia yet, but it might come. So I think this is so relevant because we may be faced with the same thing as a church here, as churches in California are faced with. I can tell you this, our stance at Trinity right now is that we've been doing everything we can to submit to the government's orders to take responsibility, that they are taking responsibility for public health. And that is a responsibility of government. They're to watch out for public health. That's why these orders have been issued. And it isn't just churches, it is a lot of other businesses too. But we also, though we're trying to abide by that, we're also looking for creative ways constantly to keep gathering together to be obedient to God's Word. So whether that means meeting in homes or, or meeting on somebody's driveway or on a porch or, or coming 
together with masks on, whatever it takes, we will continue to work to be in obedience to God and at the same time submissive to our government. But what I'm asking you is to keep praying because we're not out of this yet. So continue to pray for yourself, for Trinity, for our leadership here at the church because there may come a time when we're faced with these difficult decisions just like churches in California are facing right now. There's another reason we should submit to authority. And again, it's related to our lifestyle witness. Let me move us on to verse 15. Peter says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So when we live out our faith in submission to authority, some non-Christians may oppose us, may, may ridicule us. And it's because they don't know God's Word. They don't have God's Spirit in them. They don't understand God's wisdom. So we should expect that that's going to happen sometimes. So should we argue and debate with those who talk ignorantly about Christianity? And I think Peter is reminding us, he's saying, no, you, no, you silence them by doing good. We defend our faith with our deeds. Now, it doesn't mean we never talk. We need to be able to explain our faith as well, tell people why, give the reason for our faith and our hope for sure. But Peter is saying, along with that, you need to be living out your faith and let your deeds, your actions, your attitudes also speak. One great example that I think is a ministry that we partner with and support called Samaritan's Purse. And you, as you may know, they've been very active in these last months through this pandemic, places all over the world, field hospitals and so on, and trying to help address this. The whole purpose of Samaritan's Purse is to do good in the name of Jesus. So bringing the gospel, but doing it through the avenue of helping where there are greatest, great needs. I want you to watch just a one-minute video here from a man in Italy early on in this pandemic who was blessed by the Samaritan's Purse efforts in his life. Four or five days ago, I was in a very big danger. They sent me here to your organization. This definitely changed my life. And the first thing I remember is that wonderful doctor that told me, Francesco, you're out from danger. It's four words. Four words that really changed my life. You can't imagine how many people organized praying for me. I couldn't imagine so many people praying for me. This love around me. Those who don't understand our faith may scoff at prayer, especially by doctors and nurses in a field hospital like that. But see how their good deeds and their prayer and their ministry of the gospel touch somebody's life. 
That's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, do good in the name of Jesus, and you will leave others speechless by your good deeds. Peter's also addressing what may be an argument from some who say, but why do we have to, why do we have to be subject to human authority? We belong to God. We're free in Christ. We should answer only to Him. And Peter to that says in verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So ironically, within this one verse, it's one of those upside-down truths of the Bible, right? There are a number of those that don't make any sense human, in human terms. But we experienced our greatest freedom when we submit ourselves to God and serve Him. It's in being His servants that we find our freedom. Because freedom from sinful self only happens when we submit ourselves to God. That's the only pathway to that freedom. Jesus came to free us from sin so that we could live for God. Paul says it this way, Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So as Christians, we were set free to obey, not to disobey. To free to do what's right, not what's wrong. And when we do that, that's when we can have an impact for Christ, when the gospel has an impact, when we're living it out by using the freedom we have in Christ to bless others, to serve others, when we act like God's slaves. So to wrap up what Peter's saying here, we can live in freedom and we can live under submission. The two are not separate. They're not exclusive. We live them together. We live in freedom and we live in submission. That's the life of the believer. That's what God's will is for us. And when we do that, when we live that way, it honors Him. And so that's why we're going to see in this passage, in these next sections, how we live out that submissiveness in our relationships. Verse 17 is the last verse of our passage today, and it gives us a beautiful four-point summary of our social responsibilities as Christians. Here it Here's the verse, show, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. <laughs> Peter just wraps it all up there. It's beautiful. There's four two-word phrases that I, I could put it that way. It'd say, respect everyone, love believers, fear God, <clears throat> honor authority. And to do that requires faith on our part. None of this comes naturally to us. We, we need to see that. We need to realize that this is a step of faith. This is a life of faith that Peter is talking about here. Because to respect everyone means respecting that neighbor who gets under your skin. That doesn't come naturally. To love the believers means loving somebody who may not be very lovable, whose personality may conflict with yours. That takes faith that God is going to work through you to love that person. Fear God. You fear God even when you don't understand what he's doing in your life or in our world, that takes faith. To honor authority, we've talked a lot about that this morning, that takes faith that God is in control and that if we will be obedient to him, if we will live out that submission, that God can work through that and in that. So I want to close with two just practical, personal challenges. I think these flow right from the passage 
and they're hard things. They're difficult. I acknowledge that. And so it's a tough place to end, but I want you to hear this because I think this is what God wants us to take from this. The first thing is to be, especially in our day and age, be very careful with your attitudes and your words, especially as it regards our government, uh, other people groups, political issues, the COVID issues. All these things right now especially can be so inflammatory, so divisive. So watch your words. If you're sending an email, talking to somebody, or, uh, or especially if it's on social media, a Facebook post or something, Think about and pray about what you say before you say it because you are representing Jesus with your words. Be very careful. And remember these guidelines for that. For what you say, you're called to show respect, show love, show honor. Do your words do that? Make sure they do before you put them out there. So that's the first application. The second is kind of the, the joint with that is that instead of getting involved in the inflammatory rhetoric or the biased opinionating that's out there, Pray now more than ever. Turn to prayer instead. Pray for our world, for, pray for our country, for our government, for our leadership, for our church, for our community, for your family. Put your energy into praying because as those under authority, we need to be praying for those who are in authority. That's our responsibility. And we get frustrated, get upset, get angry best way to deal with that is not to lash out at somebody, it's to pray in submission. That's our calling. I'm going to pray for us today, and then our team's going to come and lead us in our closing song, a response song. I just want to say a word about that because the song is called Here's Our Heart. So it really is just a song, a prayer of submission. It's to do what we just talked about, what Peter calls us to do. So here's my heart, Lord. Lord, work in my heart. Check my heart. Soften my heart. And then it says, speak what is true. Boy, we need the truth of God spoken to us right now. And so this is a request for God to speak his truth in us so we can hold on to that as we give our heart to him. Let me pray for us, then we'll sing. Lord, we thank you for this passage. And Though these are hard words, Lord, we acknowledge our independent spirits do not want to submit and lord that but that's what you've called us to you've called us to make a difference in our world with this attitude of submission this attitude of honor this attitude of respect love for others living good lives doing good deeds we're to we're to make an impact that way and so lord i pray that you would help us to understand what that means help us in our world right now when when there are more pressures than maybe any of us have ever faced in our lives before, pressures on how to live out our faith, how to be the church, how to be Christians in a very divisive context. Lord, give us grace, give us wisdom, give us patience. Let us be in prayer. Lord, guard our words and help us to trust you more so that our lives will reflect your glory, so that others will come to know you because of us. Lord, that's our mission here. Help us to stay on mission for you. Here's our hearts, Lord. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.